Have you ever asked yourself, what's the best way I can contribute to sci-fi and fantasy in the literary world? If you have, the answer is simple. You just have to be Veronica Belmont or Tom Merritt and host the Sword and Laser podcast. If for some reason you can't be Veronica Belmont or Tom Merritt, however, don't despair. All is not lost. You can still head over to patreon.com slash swordandlaser and help fund their hard work. Every cent you give adds more swords and more lasers to their growing arsenal of speculative literary goodness. That's patreon.com slash swordandlaser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Just like you. We are more than just a pretty face. Pretty voice. <laughs> pretty voice. <laughs> uh, stop judging us on the looks of our voice. No, uh, we are excited to be here because it's time to talk about science fiction and fantasy books and use our brains, which is fun. I, I mean, I... I I, I tend, this is like my resting brain time. I use my brain all day. And then this Some is just like happy. Some of smart as you. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know why that felt like an insult. <laughs> <laughs> it really wasn't meant to be. <laughs> all right. Let's jump into the quick burns. Uh, we've got one from Mark who says the 2020 World Fantasy Awards finalists have been announced and nominated for the best novel are Queen of the Conquered by Kaysen Callender, The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow, The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie, Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Mir, and The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. Well, I guess I know which one you'd vote for. Uh, is it that obvious? Uh, I mean, no, I already know because, well, you tweeted about it today, uh, but also your voice went like 10 octaves higher when you said Gideon the Ninth. Gideon the Ninth. <laughs> um, I, had a, I had a really funny moment when I actually did tweet that the other day where I was like, I said it was my favorite book of 2020. And then I was like, wait, did it actually come out in 2020? And then mm -hmm. I was like, time has no meaning. You're like, did I even read it in 2020? Like, <laughs> like what is what is happening? And I guess I guess it must have come out in 2020 because well, otherwise it no, wouldn't I be think nominated. It did come out in 2019. Oh. But you, we read it in 2020. Okay. So then I want the World say. Fantasy Awards are books that probably came out in 2019. In the past year. In the past year. They they use yeah, they usually yeah, Gideon the Ninth is a 2019 science fiction fantasy novel that was published September 10th. Okay. So not too not it wasn't like a full year ago. It was right, like right, 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 right. Yeah. All right, all right. That makes sense. But um yeah, it's my favorite book of this year so far still. So come <laughs> at me, book, bro. A book of all of the this year's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this never-ending year. years that we've lived in. Uh, hey, uh, first of all, kudos to Ruth. Uh, what you're about to hear is like just some good reporting. Thank you, Ruth, for writing this up. Yeah. Uh, controversy over site selection for future Worldcon. She even has a headline. Members are currently voting on the site for Worldcon 2022, and the options are either Chicago, Illinois, or Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Mm. Leaving aside the security concerns about the U.S., Worldcon 2021 is set for Washington, D.C., which could be potentially interesting. Concerns have been raised about the kingdom, Saudi Arabia's, repressive laws around atheism, alcohol, women's rights, and homosexuality. 
UK grimdark fantasy author Anna Smith-Spark is organizing a letter of complaint to the Worldcon committee via her social media, and uh, there's a link to one of her tweets on the subject. There are also some concerns about the bids for 2023, especially as Nice, France has just dropped out of the running, leaving the options as Memphis, Tennessee, or Chengdu, China. Yes, the same Chengdu where the U.S. consulate was just closed. Personally, says Ruth, I'm looking forward to the 2024 Worldcon, which will probably be in Glasgow, UK, or possibly Glasgow, Republic of Scotland. <laughs> I'll just have to hope that they don't institute strict border controls to keep the English out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ruth. Um, yeah, that is a, those are some interesting choices. Um, there, I, I followed this thread and there was a lot of interesting commentary going back and forth. Um, I mean, specifically around how will people feel comfortable being in Saudi Arabia? You know, Worldcon is such an open event, brings so many different kinds of people from all over the world, people of different backgrounds. And how, how will that work exactly um i have not traveled to saudi arabia I have not but it is either. my understanding that if you visit saudi arabia and you are not saudi arabian most of those rules are not applied to you yeah but it's just the fact that you're supporting a nation that is exactly. also yeah That's, that so so i i'm drawing that line because i think a lot of people are like yeah i wouldn't go there you can't drink alcohol and and they're against homosexual it's I like see. you probably won't have to worry about it in practice if they were to have it in jeddah and you showed up it would be in the hotel you'd stay on the strip you'd be able to walk around it would probably feel very normal the question is would you want to be spending your money and attending uh if you're worried about that somehow supporting the system that you may or may not agree with. And similarly, I mean, I think a lot of people will will say in many ways similar things about China's, you know, repression of 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 minority uh minority people there, um well, particularly minority the population situation is yeah. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And other other kinds of things that have happened there. I've been to Chengdu and found it to be really wonderful. Um so it's just it's you know, who knows? I mean, Memphis, Tennessee, also a great place. Because well, cause the other side of this is if you don't do Jeddah or Chengdu, uh, then it's the U.S. And do you want everything to be in the U.S.? Like, you know, have it, having it in New Zealand would have been great because we would have had Ireland and then New Zealand. Uh, and And so, yes, those are English-speaking countries, but at least they're in different parts of the world. Uh, and that, that's when... Worldcon, I think, is is at its best when it's showing that we're uh, a society of fans from all parts of the world, like when they were in Helsinki, for goodness sake. So so branching out and saying, oh, could we be in places that are non-English speaking more mm-hmm. often, places that are non-European more often? Could yeah. we do India? Could we do China? Could we do Africa? Uh, I think that's great to try to do that. So it's tough because a lot of times when you venture outside of Europe in the United States, uh, you run into places that are very different. Yeah. Um, and also there's been a lot of great sci-fi coming out of China. Um, so yep. it's as a, in terms of representation, I mean, it, that, that feels like a potentially very cool experience. I already um, hear someone, I think I know who it is saying, but there's plenty of options that aren't problem, aren't problematic. We could go to Tokyo or Seoul or, uh, I don't there, know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Thailand. 
then there's problems with that. I don't know. I, but I'm just saying it's not as simple as it looks sometimes. And you also have to have places that are interested in hosting it. True. You know? That's the yeah, other Well, with the whole thing about like, you know, France dropping out. Like, I'm really curious to hear about like why that even happened. Um, but it, it's oh, kind you of know a- why they dropped out. Why? They were too nice. Oh, not nice enough. <laughs> um, but the potential of having like a, a, Ch- a Chicago, like a, a DC, a Chicago, and then a Memphis. Yeah, like, it just feels that's very a snooze fest. I mean, great for us. It's easier to travel, but yeah. it's not, it's not expanding horizons. Right. You know, I've been to all those places. It's not like I'll, I'll be like, Ooh, cool. I get to go somewhere. Tom, it's, I not, it's not all about you, Tom. No, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Tomahome says Neil Gaiman's uh, full cast Sandman audio drama is out. He's also the narrator. I believe Dirk Manx has directed many audio dramas for Alien, X-Files, Hitchhiker's Guide, To the Galaxy, etc. So very cool. Uh, Check that out. It's up on Audible now. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of folks have been looking forward to that. So definitely cool that it is finally here. Uh, Mark wrote Pandemic Resurgence of Mass Market Paperbacks. Uh, read Corey Dr. O's interesting tweet thread on book selling past and present. Uh, and Corey is riffing on a New York Times article, How to Sell Books in 2020, Put Them Near the Toilet Paper. Uh, <laughs> both the thread and the Times article are about the fact that with so many bookstores either shut down or limited in how they can sell, a lot of people are picking up their books at the grocery store because that's the place that's for sure open. It may be the one place people feel like they have to go anyway so they don't want to take an extra trip to a bookstore even if it's open uh and and so those spinner racks of mass market paperbacks are getting a workout this is a an interesting thought because i i haven't been to a costco in a long time i don't know if you if you have um but imagine if Costco really got into the book selling game. Like I'm sure they sell some books, but they would have the Oh, they sell a lot of books. Do they sell a lot of books? Yeah, and Do I they have like been a whole to Costco book in a while either. Okay. But I remember ten years ago they had like tables of books. But can you imagine if they became like one of the biggest sellers of books. Now I'm That's curious because I want to know how many. I, and this is what Corey Doctorow talks about a, just, a lot yeah. in his thread is mass market paperbacks. I'll try to summarize it and not get too much wrong. Uh, apologies to Corey and go read his thread to make sure you, that you get this right because <laughs> I'm doing it from memory. But mass market paperbacks used to uh, be sold by independent grocery stores, not big chains, Mm. right? Because grocery Mm -hmm. stores weren't in big chains. And so it was easier for, especially regional authors, I think, uh, to get into the grocery store. But then the big chains came along and they just wanted to deal with one distributor. Uh, And so the selection became more homogenous. It was harder for smaller authors to, to break in. Uh, and, and so you, you got a more limited selection in those mass market paperbacks in the grocery stores. Uh, and so while it's cool that more people are going to grocery stores to get their books, I guess, uh, it's also going to limit the selection that they have. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that was a, it would be a good thing necessarily for Costco to sell books. I mean, it's good for authors to continue to make money, but also I'd be very concerned about, Independent bookstores, you yeah. know, not being able to survive. Well, that and kind independent of, pr- publishers, yeah, who wouldn't necessarily be in for the for the same reason that the mass market paperbacks are so limited in selection. It might right. be the same with Costco, right? Hey, Mark says that Losing Gravity is Cameron Hurley's next book, uh, scheduled for publication in 2021. The pitch, 
Killing Eve meets Die Hard in space. I mean, that is a pitch right there. Uh, they I should put that out Killing of Christmas. Eve yet. I haven't seen yeah. Killing Eve yet. Oh, really? You yeah. should watch it. Yeah. I mean, just buy it. Okay. I mean, it's not that expensive and it's really good. We watched season two on an airplane on the flight to Worldcon last year, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, because they had the entire season on the airplane and we just both like kind of synced up and watched it quote unquote together from our different yeah. seats. Oh, that's neat. It's it's always like, don't they always usually do like some random selection of like three yeah. episodes from the middle of season four of exactly. something? I think that because this was an international flight, uh, they had beefed it up. And so they had a complete season, which was All great. Right. Good recommendation. Thank you. Yeah. So go fly to Europe. Wait, no, they won't let you in if you're from the U.S. Uh, Jan wrote, Video essayist and media critic Lindsay Ellis's debut novel, Axiom's End, has been released early on July 20th. The science fiction novel is described as an alternate history first contact adventure. That's interesting since we haven't had first contact as far as I know. So how's it alternate history? I can't wait to find out. Uh, and it has collected quite a number of blurb praise. For example, Hank Green says, Axiom's End is somehow deeply aware of not just what it is to be human, but what it is to be any intelligent species. It's as real as any first contact story I have ever read, wonderfully plotted and paced. The adventure never lets up. And neither does the insight. Mm. Uh, and Jan continues, so much fun. No, I think this is John Scalzi blurb. Oh, uh, sorry, you're right. This is a John Scalzi blurb. John Scalzi says, so much fun. Lindsay Ellis's experience as one of our sharpest cultural observers gives Axiom's Edge, uh, Axiom's End, an edge of realism that makes it both cutting and compelling. Close encounters have a whole new look. I'm excited about this, but also I'm really stuck on the alternate history first contact adventure. Wouldn't that just be like fiction? What if it happened during world war two? Uh, all right. Like yeah. it's like it's hit. There's a historical thing happening and then first contact interrupts. Okay. It, all right. Changes it. All right. All right. I'm I'll open my mind. That's to that. why I, I can't just... wait to find out. <laughs> I got really stuck on that for a second. I was like, but, but every, uh, but nothing's real. Nothing's our history because we didn't. It didn't happen. It's already alternate history. Oh no, we we don't remember when we met aliens earlier this year. Yeah, it kind of got lost in the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there something like that? Didn't didn't we see alien vessels at the beginning of this year? There was their the, spaceships. Um, the, yeah, no, the asteroid. It was not a spaceship. It had uh, something to do with a uh, Blink One Eighty Two. There was a scientist who said. Uh, I think the best possibility is that's a spaceship. Um, and then a lot of other scientists said, we, we don't agree with you. So, but there was something about the guy from blink 182, I like don't started remember the blink 182 connection. Though. You guys out there know, you know what I'm talking about. Jan says, um, oh, and cursed the retelling of Arthurian legend from the point of new Nimue, the lady of the lake has dropped Nimue, on. Yeah, we remember her. Yeah. Mr. Babylon has dropped on Netflix. Tom note, it is based on the book by Tom Wheeler and illustrated by Frank Miller. Uh, Jan goes on to say, unfortunately, the series has not received very good reviews, uh, averaged mixed reviews with a score of 57 out of 100 on Metacritic and 6.18 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes as of this posting. The critical consensus quote on Rotten Tomatoes is, is, uh, wow, I, I, I made a is is mm -hmm. it's like a past, the past tense, tense of, is. of yeah. is fascinating 
Cursed's first season isn't as subversive as its source material, but strong plotting and a heroic performance from Catherine Langford make for an enjoyable escape. Well, first of all, Rotten Tomatoes, one of the greatest companies ever. Uh, their video is impeccable. Go watch all their video multiple times. Drive His up wife their impressions. works there. Also, I do have to disclose my wife works for Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Uh, but I, uh, because she works for Rotten Tomatoes, I got to watch Cursed early because she had to watch it because she was doing the junket. Uh, and I agree with this consensus. It is okay up until the end. And then it gets really good. Huh? Uh, and I think it's going to have a stellar second season. So I hope the sort of tepid reviews of season one don't stop people from watching season two because season two is greenlit. It's going to happen. Uh, it's just, I, I hope, I hope enough people are willing to, to kind of push through season one. It's not bad. It's just not as good as I think it could be. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that, that, that I won't go into, but, but essentially the, there's some pacing issues and there's some storytelling choices they make that are a little confusing, but that all ends up being irrelevant by the time you get to the end. And it's really fun and set you up for a really good season two, I think. Um, I, I've heard it compared a lot to warrior nun is, do yeah. you, and, and you have watched both. I've I only just watched finished warrior okay. nun. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, they both have strong female leads that carry swords, but mm. other than that, I'm not sure there's a I think, lot I think of maybe just they came out at a similar time yeah, and are kind of yeah. reaching the same audience or similar audiences. I, I've been watching, I think I'm like maybe five episodes into warrior nun and I, I both think it's good and terrible. <laughs> yes, it and, is. it's true. It's like paper thin in parts and then it gets really deep and good. And then it goes back to being paper thin. That, that's my impression. And also it, it's looks really expensive. Like it looks like in, in many ways. Okay. Maybe the, the like demons that are coming through the portals and stuff leave a little to be desired but the locations and like some of the effects well that's the thing it's shot in spain right but it's a spanish production this is the trick netflix has figured out how to pull and i know this is not you know cord killers or anything but because they have productions everywhere they can have these they can be like well warrior none we'll have our spanish unit doing it and then it's not an expensive location shoot it's a local shoot Mm -hmm. And so I think you're right. It looks really rich and cool because you're like, oh, they're really in Spain. But honestly, it's like, they live there. Yeah, yeah cuz that's where the production <laughs> company lives. Yeah. Um I I've been trying to figure out like what is bad about it. I I really don't like the main character. I think that's that's uh, my primary issue, like, Ava. You don't like our younger Amelia Clark? Yeah, she, yeah, I can kind of see. She looks like um no, you know who she looks like? She looks like um Oh, I said this the other day and now I can't remember the name. Um, the, the girl who played Juno, the actor who played Juno. Oh um, yeah. Um, okay. This is horrible. Uh, because uh, I said the same thing when I was watching it one day, she's like, Oh, she looks like, and she said the woman's name. I know. And I know her name. <laughs> he said it too, <laughs> but now I'm blanking and everyone's yelling at me in the audience. Um, but anyway, uh, she's just very, I find her very annoying. Ellen Page. Ellen Page. Ellen Page. Thank you. Um, I, I'm, yeah, so I'm, I'm struggling with that personally. It's a, it's a me problem. It's not, maybe it's not a her problem. That's just what I'm dealing with in my life. There's some really good, there's some really good sections of Warrior Nun though. 
And if you think of, uh, and not to offend anyone in the audience, I, I'm not a religious person. There's very strong, obviously, religious overtones in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I just think of religion as being fantasy, then I have a much easier time with it. I see it compared to Cursed, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that comparable, honestly. I keep comparing it, and Brian Brushwood and I both uh, keep comparing it to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, Preacher, and mm. the Young Pope. <laughs> it's like some cross. In fact, we call Father Vincent Giles. Like we'd refuse to call him Father Vincent. Okay, all right, because he's totally Giles. We have veered uh, very far from our yes, traditional yes. show topics. Apologies. Um, we have just one barrier sword this week. Bear your sword. Uh, from Professor Chris, who says, uh, thank you. Check out the amazing interview from Sam Maggs on Sword and Laser podcast this week. So much fun to hear about her process. And it was super sweet that she gave my psych consulting a shout out in one of my favorite pods. Aww. Thanks, Sam. Um, very cool. So that was the Chris that wrote in um, with a question in that episode. Um, yeah, Sam was amazing. Uh, so really good. great so feedback fun. from the audience about that interview. Um, we actually got a really nice email and I, I forgot to put it in the show. Um, but the, the the long and short of the email was like, let our interviews go longer, like have have more more fun with it, like let them keep going. We did unfortunately have a time constraint with that one. Um, I would have loved to have talked to her longer, um, but we have a bit of a longer episode next week with Dennis e. Taylor um, that I'm excited about. And I'm just happy that people are enjoying the interview episodes. That, that makes me feel good that that you guys are getting a kick out of those. Yeah, it was Tom Rondeau who uh, messaged us through Patreon saying, oh, hey, thank you. I like your interviews so much. I want more of them. So Yay. that's always good to hear. Although we have to always leave you wanting more. A little bit. So, you know, we can increase, but not too much. Not too much. Not too much. <laughs> that's definitely why that happens. All right. Well, it is uh, at the time of recording July 29th, which means that this is going to be a wrap up episode. But... Before we get to that and before we get to all the spoilery discussion of Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James, um, Tom, tell us about your August pick. Yes. Yeah, so as I as I posted in the uh, book briefing on on Patreon, uh, I don't know that I've ever finished a book and immediately picked it for Sword and Laser. I've, I've picked things I've read before, but usually it's, oh, I haven't read this in a long time and it's a classic, something like that. Uh, but as soon as I was done with Black Leopard, Red Wolf, I started reading, reading Elysium by Jennifer Marie Brissett, and I liked it so much I had to make it my pick uh, for August. I'm very excited for you to start trashing it and telling me why I'm wrong, and it's a horrible book, but I really don't <laughs> think it is. I Jeez, think, do I, I think- do that? I mean, every book we put on there has somebody who's like, I hate this book. It doesn't do this or whatever. But uh, I, I I really, really, really enjoy this book. And I think it may be a nice, like, a mousse-bouche in a way, uh, palate cleanser uh, for Black mm-hmm. Leopard, Red Wolf, in that it's got some similarities, but it's an entirely different perspective and an t- entirely different presentation. Uh, and I don't want to say that to warn people off who didn't like Black Leopard, Red Wolf. Uh, it is an experimental novel, which I think is probably the thing some people won't like, mm. because the characters' names are the same, but their ages, their genders, their relations to each other keep switching. And it's all explained why at the end. Uh, <gasps> oh. But it's 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 kind of a trip. And I loved it because you get to know a character 
without having to rely on those normal cues of like, well, they're a woman. Oh, wait, now they're a man. Oh, wait, now they're a gay man. Oh, wait, now they're trans. Like it's just these characters keep changing throughout the story, but the story and the story setting also changes, but is consistent. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I think it's a feat and I really enjoyed it and I'm excited for people to read it. So I started reading it last night. Um, and I immediately got sucked in. Like I felt, I felt so intrigued because it really does just flow into the, the next vignette. And all of a sudden, like it, 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 it wasn't as jarring as I would have expected Mm -hmm. it to be had I been told this before I started reading it. You know, if I if you had given me that description, I would have been like, oh, that sounds pretty jarring and confusing. But I went in completely blind. And so being able to to kind of read it fresh, I was like, oh, this actually this is interesting. What's going like, on here? Wait, wasn't Andre a woman? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> yeah. let's just go with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, um, so it's cool, uh, cool Elysium pick. by Jennifer Marie Brissett. Very cool. All right. And now we will wrap up our spoilery discussion of Black Leopard Red Wolf by Marlon James. Um, I finished it. I finished it last night. Um, I think this is something that no one expected to happen, um, <laughs> least of all Tom. Um, and because I, I, I was, I'll put it this way I was prepared for you not to have finished it. Yeah. And I think that would have been okay. I, I know a lot of people out there did not finish it. Um, I, I have to say I, in the executive summary of this discussion, um, that I am glad that I finished it and I'm glad I read it. And I actually came to, it became one of those books that I was like, if not excited to pick up, then very curious to see what was going to happen Mm -hmm. next in Mm -hmm. the story. And I, um, I got attached to characters um, you know, Mossy, for example, uh, I, you know, became very emotionally invested in and, and his relationship with Tracker. Um, and I really I think do Sadogo feel... Sadogo was one of my faves. Sadogo was great, too. Um, though much more complicated, I think, than, than, you know, it seemed on the surface. And then I think that the beginning of the story, I will maintain, was very jarring and confusing and I think that made it very difficult for a lot of people, I mean, even aside from all of the the extreme violence, sexual violence, um, like themes that were prevalent throughout at least the first half and also further along in the book. I think just the beginning being so confusing, I think, turned a lot of people off. But then making it through to like the last two thirds of the book for me, it turned into a much regular, much more regular kind of narrative story. Uh, that I was able to follow along with. And then at the end, it kind of jumped again to like a different perspective, a a later timeline telling um, that was again kind of confusing. And like, what did I miss? I felt like I had finally been anchored in the story and understood the the narrative plot of what was going on, the, the linear story that was happening. And then it jumps times again and goes into the last third of the book or the last quarter of the book that is you know, after something else traumatic has happened. And yeah, it was just so different from anything I've read in so long that it really, I I felt as though it took a greater commitment and effort to, to immerse yourself in the story and just kind of like let it happen in a way, like kind of let, let the story wash over you, let the strangeness and, and, and 
otherness of 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 the story and the narrative kind of just take you in its 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 pull um and that is kind of what it, it felt like an experience more than just reading something and i felt like kind of like wrung out at the end of it and yeah so it was a that kind of experience i think i don't get very often reading a story and i appreciate that um and i'm glad i read it even though it was immensely difficult in parts and and very you know, traumatic, disturbing, the things that the characters experienced was just, I mean, it's, it's nearly impossible to describe unless you're reading it in the story. So yeah, I, I, I didn't review it. I didn't leave a a star number because I just don't know what to say about it in a review because it's so different from so much else that I've read. How did you feel, Tom? <laughs> I, I think that's to its credit. I, I think it is a challenging book. Yes. And it is not, as some people may have feared from just starting it and not finishing it, uh, an egregious book or a shock book. It's not, it's not that at all. It is very substantial. The barrier to entry is a little high. Uh, the, the opening chapters are a shout at you. And some people mm-hmm. are like, I don't want to be shouted at. I'm out of here. But I think it does pay off to surmount that because... If you are open to understanding someone else's experience, you will come away with a fuller understanding of an experience that I would never have been exposed to otherwise. I feel better for having read it. I didn't enjoy reading it in that way, but I enjoy having read it. It's one of those. It's like too uh, fun. And, and I think it's an exceptional book uh, because, mm-hmm. again, just because a book is challenging, just because a book is offensive doesn't make it bad. Uh, and doesn't make it a bad piece of writing. In fact, some of the most important are offensive. Uh, and when I say offensive, I don't mean like, you know, what, what we mean on Twitter being offensive. I mean, like, so some of the reasons people stopped reading this were because like, ah, I this offends my senses. I can't, I can't deal with it. Uh, well, and sometimes you have to do that in order to tell a real story that has depth. Uh, and as much as this is a fantasy, it is a mm-hmm. real story that has depth. I, I also don't want to knock anyone who was uncomfortable reading it because of the themes in the book, too. I think it's if if I don't you, think I was knocking anyone. Well, I mean, you I, I didn't say you were. I said I don't want to knock anybody. Um, I was saying you kind of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just more mean like this. There's there's you can push through and have this experience. And I think it is worthwhile. But you can also get to that point where the the themes and what's happening in the story are traumatic and can be traumatic personally and we are all going through a great trauma in many ways on a national and worldwide scale right now it might be difficult to to read things that are difficult or you may personally have trauma in your past that are similar to what um you know characters are experiencing or childhood trauma so i understand wanting to not be in the mindset to read something like this right now or ever. Um, I am just saying that I'm personally glad I did it because even though there were very traumatic elements, the characters really went through hell and and back. Um, I I I wanted to be I wanted to understand that experience in 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 that way, and I'm I'm glad that I was able to do that. Um, and you know, there were great threads on Goodreads about like, if you weren't able to finish this, actually, I want to, I think it was Jenny, but I I don't want to, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I want to double check. Um, 
like gave other recommendations. Like if, if this wasn't for you, yeah, it was Jenny. Um, who said if you limbed, here's another challenge, and kind of gave a great list of other. Yeah, we talked. I think we talked yeah. about that on the show, didn't we? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So, so that was that was really wonderful because I think that that helped other people find a way to kind of be able to participate in some of the discussions that we've been having about the themes in the book without necessarily having the same level of trauma and stress around, you know, the the rapes that happen, the child abuse that happen, the murders that happen. Um, that is that is definitely something that happens. At least the conversation around rape happens a lot in the book. Um, so it was difficult for sure. Um, but like I said, there were characters that I really, really enjoyed and and I felt invested in and interested in learning more about what happened to them. Um, and the story was was very I, I, a lot of people have used the word visceral, but I think it's a really good good word to use to describe this book. Um, almost grimdark in many ways. I think this book, like if you want to view it through that kind of, of fantasy lens, could could easily be African grimdark, perhaps, or just grimdark in general. Um, so there were, I was trying to relate it to that in a lot of ways too, because I was like, would I have this problem reading about these kinds of things in a Joe Abercrombie book? Um, we touched on some of these themes in the Poppy War, for example, and now feeling them in a different setting in in the in the you know this African almost folklore setting. Like, what is it more challenging because it's a a different, even more different setting than what I'm used to reading about, or is it challenging because of what's happening? And so I was trying to reckon with a lot of that, like in the book, um, while I was reading it, going through that process. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've kind of lost where I was going earlier, unfortunately, but, but I, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, I, I just think that I, I wasn't in any way trying to tell people they should feel bad if they looked at this and said, Nope, not for me. But I also don't think there's anything wrong with this book. Uh, and I don't think the book needs to apologize for being the kind of book that it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think we can both agree on that. Um, we had some threads from the audience too that I thought were really great. Um, one in particular, uh, actually, I lost it, crud. But the what do you expect from the sequel? Um, this well, one, the, the sequel is going to be the same story from a different perspective. So I have no idea what to expect from the sequel. Yeah. So this one comes from Silvana, who says, "For those of you who have finished the book and plan to read the sequel, Moon Witch, Night Devil, <laughs> which feels like it's probably about Sogolon." Um, so uh, uh, she says, no, if you don't plan to read the sequel or only want to assert your opinion that the first book sucked or say that you had to stop reading it due to whatever, please use the other five threads for that, please. Um, but goes on to say, so far from this interview, um, we know that Sogolon will be the main point of view. Okay, so I should have read further into her thread. Um, she says, for me, I want Tracker to meet the not yet dead friends, but also meet new people along the way. I don't mind also seeing a new kingdom or city, meet other cultures or so on. So would you run or read a book about Sogolon? Or or, or Sadogo? That would be, I mean, <laughs> they don't refer to that, Sadogo as the read. moon witch. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you want you want the whole Sadogo backstory of, of killing all those 167 people or whatever it was? What I do expect, I guess, is mm-hmm. a character perspective that's not going to tell the same story. That's going to intersect with the Black Leopard, Red Wolf 
story uh, because they intersect, but is going to expose us to different cultures and different places and different characters in the moments when these characters are not on uh, on the main stage, so to speak. Yeah. And then Silvana goes on to say um, that the third book has been titled The Boy and the Dark Star. So maybe the main character is the boy. That would be kind of crazy because. Yeah, that's a really good example of what I'm talking about. Because the boy is barely in Black Leopard Red Wolf, but he's essential to it, right? Right. So is that his experience of of going off with, uh-huh. with the uh, Ipundulu? Tom and I were trying to, to, to name all the characters in the... Did you try again? No, Siri, I wasn't talking to you. Jeez. Anytime I say I'm sorry, my, my phone thinks I'm talking to it. Now I forgot what I was saying. Um, we were trying to name all the characters before the show so that we could keep them straight in our head, which is, for me, impossible, unfortunately. But I forgot to go into the the demon kind of characters. Uh-huh. So if, if I'm saying those wrong, I apologize. Um, but yeah, there's not a lot about, about the boy's backstory, really, and, you know, why he was so... Well, it, it almost feels like... Um, Oh gosh, Tom, what's the the phrase when people uh like become sympathetic with their captors? Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome, thank you. Um it, it felt very Stockholm syndrome-y to me. Like that was just what he knew. That was the only family he knew. Yeah, it's uh, it just may not even be Stockholm syndrome at that point. It may just be yeah. being young and you accept whatever is around you as normal when you're young. Right, right. Um, which obviously makes sense as to why um, the ending is so difficult because he goes back to those characters and continues to to wreak mayhem and ultimately like kind of ruins the wolf's trackers, maybe happy ending, which was really traumatic and sad. That was awful. I mean, that was really awful. That made me really sad. Yeah, it's not a happy book. This is this is a tragedy. This is uh, it's not a good time. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, uh, it, it, like times one thousand, <laughs> you know, with <laughs> with a lot more gore. So the interesting thing is that I um, I I somehow managed to turn off my progress bar in Kindle. So the whole time reading the book, I didn't know how far I was. Oh no. And so I got to the end of the chapter where uh, Tracker is at the tree with Mossy and there's like the whole Griot, Griot song about like their life together and it kind of ends very happy. And I was like, oh, this would be like this would be a really nice way to end the book. The boy's been returned. Like he's with all of his children at the tree and he's got Mossy there and it's happy. And like the song can end it. And it's just like part of the tale. But then the back of my mind, I was like, but I know he's telling this story to a guard in some prison somewhere, somewhere. Yeah, so that penny's got to drop still. Yeah. So there, that's the loose end that I could feel like tickling the back of my mind. Um, and then of course it all goes to shit after mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, 
So uh, Silvana also had another uh, thread about um, characters, the number of characters. Um, there's a lot of them, especially during flashbacks. Do you think they add to the story slash world or are you confused or overwhelmed? Um, the last time I got this amount of characters was with the Song of Ice and Fire novels where there's like 2,100 of them mentioned. Um, and at this point, she was at the 30% mark. Um I, in the beginning, it was definitely, there was definitely a struggle, I would say, um, especially during a lot more of the like expository parts. Um, But towards the end, I I feel like I I had a pretty good grasp of of what was happening. So I think it was just a matter of, of getting further along in the story. But there are a lot, I mean, especially that um, the spider character, the, the white scientist towards the end, like suddenly you're like, why am I meeting this whole other new character? (laughs) Like, why is this important? Um, So there were a few instances like that. uh, Or like um, Nika's girlfriend or whoever it was that helps them for a little while in the story kind of like didn't have that big of a, of a, of a perspective. I don't know. So maybe, maybe there could have been some trimming down of, of characters just to keep it more streamlined, but I, I didn't feel too overwhelmed. What I mean, about I, you? I hesitate to criticize something just because of the amount of characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly any story that has a lot of characters is going to be more confusing because it's got more characters and more people to get to know. And if you're the kind of reader who has a hard time, like I do, uh, remembering characters' names, even while you're reading the book, uh, that that raises the difficulty level. But I don't think it's a matter of it had too many characters. It's more of, oh, this is a book with a lot of characters. Uh, that that it tells you what kind of book it is. And and maybe that's, you're like, oh yeah, I don't like books with a lot of characters, so I'm not going to read that. Or, oh, I, I know I have to, you know, dig in and pay a little more attention because it's got a lot of characters. The question for me is, are the characters handled well? And do they, uh, do they contribute, even if they're only there for a short period of time, to the momentum of the story or the atmosphere or the world building, et cetera? Uh, I... I know uh, some folks thought that these characters weren't very deep, and I entirely disagree. I, I think mm-hmm. all of these characters were were incredibly interesting. Uh, I thought they all moved along the story or at the very least uh, gave atmosphere to the world that we were living in. Uh, and, and so I don't think there were too many characters uh, because I don't think you, that's a thing. I don't think the large amount of characters were badly used. Uh, so if, if you're the kind of person who is not put off by a lot of characters or who can deal with it or wants to deal with it, uh, I think, I think the number of characters is justified in the book. Yeah. And that my friends is the last we heard of Tom Merritt. Uh, I know through the magic of editing, you get to hear all about how (laughs) I spent the last five minutes, uh, waiting for Tom to be able to reboot his computer after his Skype shut down again. And he has not been able to return. His apps aren't opening. Chaos has ensued, but it's okay. We were basically done anyway. Um, So I'm just going to end the show on my own for the first time in Sword and Laser history. Uh, But thank you for listening. Thank you for reading along. Uh, Those who were able to with Black Leopard, Red Wolf, uh, really excited to pick up Elysium this month. And of course, thank you to all of our patrons out there. Uh, Thank you so much to the folks who back our show. If you want to help support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. 
You can also support the show by buying books through our links. You can find links to the books we talk about and some of our other favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. And of course, email us feedback at swordandlaser.com. Let us know how we're doing. Our website is swordandlaser.com. We are now on Instagram and Twitter at swordandlaser. And of course, you can also join in on all of our fabulous discussions over at goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. Tom says goodbye, and I say we'll see you next time. Bye. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.